God. So, amen. You ready to go? Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in the first chapter, and we're going to go all the way through Revelation tonight. I'm going to read it verse by verse, and, and we're going to exert it. And we're, going to, we're going to exegete it. We're going to exegete it verse by verse. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not going to go through that, but... Uh, I could be like a, I could be like Apostle Ron. He says, you know, just turn somewhere in the Bible, and I'll get there eventually. And I kind of feel that way tonight. That we're just going to get there eventually. I just feel like the Lord's saying some things to us, and He's preparing. I know He's saying some things to me. Um, when everything I prepared for tonight got lost, literally got lost. I could not find it. Paul gets here and he starts talking to me. I'm over there just looking through my notes, trying to find my notes, and cannot find it. I think Paul did it. <laughs> so we're just going to go with what the Holy Spirit's really been speaking to me all along anyway. And I kind of just put some stuff together about a month ago. And I just kept trying to preach this message for over a month. I was going to preach this message the last Friday night, and it didn't happen. And then I was going to preach it the Sunday after that, and it didn't happen. And then I took about three weeks off <laughs> because I got sick and well, anyway, I was going to preach again tonight on the proof of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but we're not going there. So, hallelujah. So let's go with this. Uh, we talked last week, uh, we did school ministry last week. We talked about, uh, we read a book about living in a secret place. And, uh, and we talked a lot about what that means and how that God has invited us not to come in and out of the secret place, but he's invited us to come and live in a place called secret. God's given us permission to live there. God's given us permission to set our abode. As he decrees, he who dwells in a place called secret, he who dwells in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He makes himself at home. He sits there. Amen? He's learned how to dwell in that place. So we've learned... Uh, that God doesn't want us to come in and out of a place called secret. Instead, he desires for us to learn how to dwell, to sit, remain, calls to be inhabited or uh, uh, to be inhabited in that place where true transformation could take place. How many knows that it's only going to take place? Transformation does not take place because you put knowledge inside you. Amen? I don't care how much scripture you can quote, transformation will not come just because you can quote scripture. Transformation comes when you learn to sit with the Lord and he begins to re-identify you as a son and a daughter of the king. That's how we become transformed. That's how our mind gets renewed. It's how that we understand who we are and whose we are. We understand what God's destined us to be and what he's called us to be. It only comes from sitting with him. It's not going to come just because you sit under good music and you sit under good preaching. It's not going to just come through osmosis. I understand some things are caught, not taught. I get that. I understand that some things come revelatory, but there are only certain things I believe, and especially in the realm of identity, that only comes when you sit with the Lord as opposed to being taught about it. I believe there's something that comes alive on the inside of you when you learn that you have not only the ability, but the invitation to come sit with Him. You have the ability and the invitation to come sit with the Father so that when He looks at you, He begins to say the same words that came out of the heavens when Jesus was baptized in the river of Jordan when He decreed that this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased with. 
before miracles, before signs, before wonders, before preaching, he looked at him and said, I am pleased with what's happening in my son. Amen? I believe, honestly, this is my personal opinion, I, don't, I do not know that Jesus necessarily was, I, well, I do believe this, I don't believe Jesus was born understanding he was the son of God. I believe that this was something that was progressively taught or, or re, was, was, was revealed to him by his encounters with the Father. And I believe that that declaration from heaven was that announcement that he was the Son. And what happened after the announcement? Immediately he was driven by the Spirit of God, not the evil spirit, but the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So when the devil comes, he looks at him and begins to tempt him. On the last word that he heard from God was that he was the son and the first temptation comes to Jesus by saying if you are the son it's never mentioned in scripture that that the, that Satan even come to him come on i mean let's just be honest Herod's trying to kill off every kid they don't know Jesus is the Messiah. They don't know that. I literally believe that when the father spoke it then all of a sudden Satan said there he is. He's the one. Because the scripture says, had, they, had the principalities had known, they never would have crucified him. Mm. Ah. Thank you, Jesus. This lifestyle of consecrated devotion will lead you into a superior reality. We're going to talk about living from heaven's reality tonight. Okay, this is something that I'm, I'm walking out in my life. I have, not, I have not attained. I feel like Paul... <laughs> Not Paul, but Paul says this. <laughs> I have not arrived yet. That Paul has, but the other Paul hadn't. This lifestyle of consecrated devotion will lead you into a superior reality that is not moved by the things that we see with our natural eyes. But, or the things that we hear with our natural ears, but is moved by the mandate of heaven invading the earth. It is not moved by what we see. It's not moved by what we hear. It's only moved by what the scriptures has decreed supposed to be done in the earth. That's the reason why we cannot... I'm getting ahead of myself. That's the reason why we cannot look at the earth through the eyes uh, of the natural realm. We have to look at the earth by the way that God has dictated the earth is supposed to be. We have to give, we have to look at the earth the way Habakkuk wrote in Habakkuk chapter 2 that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters do cover the seas. We have to understand that it is our responsibility as sons and daughters to make sure that that takes place. That we are not someone who is just waiting for this thing to wrap up. Come on. We're not called to sit around and wait for this thing to wrap up. We are called to release the mandate of heaven upon the earth. And that is only going to take place when you've learned how to live in consecrated devotion to the Lord, sitting with him, because you understand you have the right to sit with him. Because the enemy is going to tell you you don't have the right to sit with him. He's going to bring up every excuse, every reason. You're not good enough. You remember the 13 years ago, Tim, when you did this? That disqualified you. The devil is a liar. We've also learned that to live in the secret place, that it will cause us to create atmospheres that will host the presence of the Lord. 
I talked about last week in class how the, it's easier for, for us as a church to create atmospheres or systems that accommodate men's lazy, apathetic lifestyles than it is to create atmospheres that pushes and pulls and stretches and causes man and woman to understand that, hey, God didn't call me just to sit in a chair until this thing's over. God has called us to mandate heaven on the earth and for us to leave where we're at and go after what God has called us to go. I can remember reading in the scriptures in 1 Samuel chapter 30 when, Paul, when, when David is encountering a, 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 a revolt from the people because all of a sudden Ziklag been burned and, and he goes to the Lord and he says, God, what do you want me to do? I believe honestly David was so sought out about an understanding that God's heart would have been giving him his children back and giving his wives back. If God would have said, sit there, David wouldn't have moved. He would have just sat there. But the Lord didn't tell him just to sit there. He said, I give you permission to pursue, overtake, and recover all. And I believe that's the mandate of the body of Christ that we're supposed to actually look at what has been lost in the earth and recover it back for the kingdom. Now, we understand Jesus already bought it back, right? He paid the price for it. But why in the world is sickness still alive then? If Jesus paid the price for it, why is sickness there? It's because we as people, as the men and women of God, as the body of Christ, as the ecclesia or ecclesia, however you want to enunciate it, has been given the mandate to begin to take the will of God and make sure that it's accomplished in the earth. It, it, it removes from us this stupid idea that God is just in absolute control. Help me, Jesus. He's not. God's in control. No. If that's the case, then we would all be Calvinistic. Let's just be honest. You wouldn't have free will, but you do. We are not Calvinists. God bless John Calvin. I believe if he was alive, he probably wouldn't be a Calvinist himself. But we are not. It's in the lifestyle of conquered devotion that we become so consumed with what he wants and desires that the fear of man becomes less and less of a hindrance to total obedience to the one that's called faithful and true. It's also in that place called secret that we learn what proper communal relationship with the Father looks like. One definition for commune means to communicate intimately. Every time we meet with the Father in the secret place, we should expect something to be birthed in us. Every time we meet, I'm telling you right now, I understand that there are, not, there are going to be some times when you meet with the Lord and it's going to feel like you're alone. But you've got to expect that when you meet with him, something's being birthed in you. You've got to understand that there's going to be something in you that is coming alive because the seed of God is being planted inside us. The scripture tells us in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that even the fruit of our womb is blessed. The fruit of our womb gets blessed. Last time I checked, Tim, you don't have a womb. That's the reason why man called woman woe-man. And I'm not going to tell the cheesy joke like Adam saw a woman and said, Whoa! Man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, I believe Eve was a knockout. Don't get me wrong. 
But he, she didn't have a lot of competition, did she? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Adam didn't have a grid, did he? <laughs> it's funny, guys. Come on, it's Friday night. You guys are in church. It's okay. The cake is going to be fine this afternoon. <laughs> we learned that our communal relationship is spirit to spirit. It is in this place that we begin to understand what Psalm 42, 7 means, that deep calls unto deep. We need to be a people that only deep things speak to, not shallow things. So, so if the scripture is true, how did a pastor one time say, if the literal sense makes sense and all of the sense is nonsense? If the scripture reading deep calls unto deep is true, then you can invert that scripture and it still be true. You can turn it upside down. So if, if deep calls to deep is true, then we have to understand that shallow calls to shallow. And in the body of Christ, it's, it's, it's okay because the Friday nights are fun because Friday nights a lot of times are, are just more leadership so we can kind of be more open with what we say. This is the thing about, this is the thing about church today. Too many shallow things are speaking to us. Too many times are we letting those things that are shallow, that have no depth, speak to us. It's the reason why we end up having church split after church split after church split because you have a people that are, or a church that's being moved and ran by shallow people. Do you really believe, with all honesty, do you really believe that God has told everybody who planted a church in Alabama to plant the church? There is no way. Because there wouldn't be no... Never mind. There would not be so many churches with the same name. How's that? Or post one. Or, or come on. God... The, the first, second, third, fourth Baptist church. I mean, come on. God did not intend us. God, did ne God never intended that. The problem is it's because we ended up with a mentality that we are not going to let somebody tell us what to do. You, I, I saw something this week. I, I guess it was a meme. I say that. I don't know if it was or not. It might have been a gif. I don't know. But it was somebody quoted something and said, if, if your pastor cannot rebuke you, he, if he can't correct you, something... I can't remember what it says now. I forgot exactly what it says. That's it. If, 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 if your pastor cannot correct you, he can't cover you. People are not looking for coverings. They're looking for cover-ups. So, so what happens is, is when you find out, you'll find people that you'll find out people's heart when you rebuke them. You'll find out the depth of them when you can look into them and say, what you're doing, Tyler, is wrong. And you'll find the level of maturity in someone when you can look at them and tell them that, and then they don't get, can I say butt hurt? I mean, is that, is that a bad thing to say? I mean, they don't get butt hurt over it, and then all of a sudden they go drag your name through the mud because somebody got mad at you because you said something to them because it rebuked them. 
The problem is, is that does not speak to depthness calling to depthness. That speaks to a lack of depthness or, or, or shallowness speaking to shallowness. When you feel like you got to have your way all the time, you are not mature. You've got to learn that sometimes it's not going to be the way you want it to be. Sometimes it's literally going to be just the way God wants it to be. And sometimes it's just going to be the way your leader wants it to be. And you're just going to have to suck it up and do it. Like do announcements when you don't want to do them. Right? Because that's what your leader wants. Because your leader sees greatness in you. That's right. But he sees greatness in you. You say, well, what's, what's greatness got to do with announcements? I want to preach and prophesy. Because that's the depthness. You know what? Sooner or later, she'll be giving announcements, and it'll stop, and then she'll be prophesying through announcements. Amen? I don't know where that came from. God bless you. I love you. And the reason why I believe, this is my personal opinion, and I'll, I'll preface this as my opinion. I believe I'm right, but it's my opinion. The reason why shallowness speaks to such, the church is so shallow, is because they have never learned to commune with God spirit to spirit. They have always communed with God soul to spirit. Because they commune from a place of mind, will, and emotions, and they don't commune from this place that's absolutely been born again and renewed and regenerated. And how many knows that here, after you've been born again, it never, ever, ever gets more born again than it is the moment it gets born again. It's just born again. Now, this part right here gets renewed, and you have to renew it, 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 because that leads to transformation. But your spirit man's completely born again. But the problem is, is most of the time when we commune with God, we commune from a place of allowing our emotions to dictate what our commune is with Him. We look at God and say, God, this is what's going on in my life, and I'm, I'm, I'm upset. And listen, I'm not saying that we don't, we don't, we don't call to God and talk about how we feel. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying most of the time when we commune with God, we are communing from an aspect, soul to spirit, that says, this is what I want, as opposed... Listen, Jesus had to go through this on the cross. Jesus had to go through this on, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had to make the decision that I'm not going to... Because his soul wanted to give up. His soul wanted to quit. His soul could overlook the bow the, the, of, of the hill and see Golgotha. He knew what was about to take place the next few days over his life. He knew exactly what he was going to go through. He'd already read it in the scriptures. He knew who he was. But in this moment, he had to make this declaration. Am I going to commune with God from my soulish man that is literally in a place to where he's sweating blood? Or am I going to commune with God from a place of my spirit that understands that this is what I was born into the earth to do? And I think sometimes what we do is we just go to God and we tell God what we want. And we just say, this is what we want. And by golly, this is what I deserve. Because I'm your son. 
And then what happens is this. It's like we commune soul to spirit, and then a lot of us live in this place of woundedness in our soul realm. And then now we're communicating with the spirit or communicating with God through a wounded place. And then that's the reason why most of your prayer life ends up being God get them and take them and do this and re- you know get these people for what they did to me. Instead of saying, God, let what happened to me create great. Come on. He said all things work together for the good. He necessarily didn't say everything was going to be good. But what Paul was saying, listen, no matter where I'm at or what's going on in my life, no matter if I'm getting, if I'm getting beat and eventually beheaded or however he died, Scripture really doesn't say. We believe that he was probably beheaded. But he was saying, let whatever happened to me make me look more like him. So again, the problem with most believers is that they try to commune with God's soul to spirit, which leads them to live a life that is not foundationally strong, and impregnation cannot begin in the soul of man. It has to begin in the spirit. If impregnation was to begin in the soul of man, it would literally be naturally a tubal pregnancy. All right, let's go to Genesis 1. I'm going to read out of New King James tonight. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Who's ever heard of the law first mentions? The law first mentions may be said that the principle that requires one to go to that portion of the scriptures where a doctrine is mentioned for the first time and is to study the first occurrence of of the same in order to get the fundamental inherent meaning of that doctrine. In other words, it is the foundation that all other scriptures build concerning that topic. So the first time that God creates man, it gives us the precedence of how man was to be viewed by the laws of heaven in and throughout the earth. So he creates man. He says this, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Image literally means this. It means resemblance. One definition actually says it speaks to the imagination of God. The image 
Let us make man in our image. Likeness means this. It means similitude or like as. Similitude or like as. So Father in his creation makes man resemble him and be like him. When God gives Adam the command to name the animals, how many knows that that in the Old Testament especially, names brought identity. It spoke to people like Jacob was trickster or deceiver. I was going to call him Sleuthfoot, but you know. <laughs> he was a trickster, all right. He deceived. But then he has an encounter with the Lord. His name gets changed from Jacob to Israel. Then we don't understand. Israel means prince. So he was the prince. So when Adam begins to name names, he's given identity to the animals. I believe, again, my opinion, I believe that God, God, the Father, was partnering with Adam and naming the, naming the animals. He was teaching him, literally, I believe that God was teaching Adam what he did when he spoke and life came. I believe he was teaching him how to create, not just name. Because he said, I'm creating man in my image and after my likeness. I'm creating him to look like me and act like me. So the very first, I don't want to get into the word ontological or, or teleological, but it, it literally means ontology is the study of the existence of something. And teleology is a study of the reason why something is or what it does. So the Bible says that, that in the beginning, God. This is the teleological definition of God. He, he's in the beginning. He is God. But then it says he creates. In the beginning, God what? Created the heavens and the earth. So he, 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 even, even in this instance, God is teaching us that identity is more important than what someone does. God creates. God in a self-existing person, Jehovah self-existing, in his self-existence created the heavens and the earth. It's imperative that you understand that you do not get your identity from your title. God got his identity from him being the self-existent one, not because he was called God. Does that make sense? But what he was doing was he was trying to teach man in the garden setting that, listen, this is how I created the earth, and this is what I want you to do for the rest of the earth. That's the reason why the command was to subdue the earth and have dominion over everything. So I have, <laughs> so this stretches us, it stretches our religious mindsets. In the imagination of God, he creates man to look and act just like him. God was not looking to create someone to serve him nor worship him. 
The reason why man was created was not to serve God nor worship him. He had the angels for that. He created man because he was looking for someone that would commune with him and walk in the authority of heaven and have dominion over all creation. Dominion simply means the word supreme authority. See, again, this messes with a lot of believers' mentalities because we say, we like to say the words, God's in complete control. God's not in complete control when it comes to the earth. He placed that responsibility upon man. It is totally irresponsible for a believer to bury their head in the sand and say, well, whatever happens in this world will happen because it's a part of God's way of dealing with mankind. It is, response, it is irresponsible as for you as a believer, as a son and daughter of God, to say whatever happens, happens, because that's just the way it's going to be. It's literally getting upset at darkness for being dark and just believing it's just going to be dark because that's just what it's supposed to be. No, it's not supposed to be dark. It's dark because light has not shined on it. It is irresponsible for the believer to live their lives void of understanding that they have been given dominion over the earth. I believe that the reason why evil runs rampant is because we are more focused off, we're more focused off getting off the planet than changing it. That's the reason why it runs rampant. Oh, help me, Jesus. Um, treading lightly. I'm going, I'll, no, I'm not going to mic drop tonight. <laughs> drop it. <laughs> Tell me if you're watching, we love you. Today was his first day back at work, so amen. Yeah, let's just leave that alone. To believe this lie is to not fully understand Psalms 115, 16. It says, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So let's lay aside what we've been taught erroneously. And let's just dig and see what the scriptures say. Okay? Let's just find out what the book says. Because if the book says that I don't care what your, da your daddy or your granddaddy or your great-granddaddy taught you, it was wrong. The book says, the earth he has given to the children of men. The problem with most believers is that they've lived their whole lives thinking that they can do nothing to change the way the world is and where it's heading. Because preachers have told them that this world has to spin out of control in order for them to be rescued so that they try to survive until the great getting up morning <laughs> comes and we all get to get up out the grave. Whether you're in a spiritual grave <laughs> or you're in a natural grave. 
when they're supposed to be Let me say this again. So they try to survive until that great getting up morning when they get to go to a place that they were supposed to be bringing to this planet. I mean, it's, it's in the prayer. It's in the prayer. This, it's not the Lord's prayer. It can't be the Lord's prayer because it says it, he asks for forgiveness of sins. He gives us this prayer. An outline for Satan. He says, Thy kingdom come, we'll go all King James. Thy will be done. On earth, ha! As it is in heaven, ha! Well, I used to preach like that when I was growing up. My God, I went out in the woods and practiced it. Because I thought every preacher had to have a ha! At the end of what they said, I tell you, God's going to move. Ha! And I'd practice that stuff until I spit over all everybody. I sp- yeah. Or some of those, some of those guys who suck more air in than they let out. Anyway, guys, I've been, I've been cultured. I'm trying to culture some folks around here. Mother Margaret's been cultured too. If this mentality was true, then why would Isaiah 58, 11, and 12 read this way? Let's go there. Isaiah 58, 11, and 12. I'm almost done, guys. Then we're going to eat some cake before I go on a diet. We're going to eat a lot of cake tonight. We're going to eat a lot of cake this weekend. It's true. We're going to start on the 5th. 8th, new beginnings. Hallelujah. (laughs) As long as we don't make it through 7, that's completion. (laughs) If I don't go on a diet, I'm going to live in (laughs) 7. If this is true, if this mentality was true, that that we're supposed to just believe that this world's supposed to spin out of control. Now listen, let's just be honest. It is out of control. The problem is most people, when they start hearing preachers preach messages like this, they look at the earth and they let the earth dictate what truth's supposed to be. I'm not, I'm not looking at the earth. The, I'm not dumb enough to look at... Listen, I'm not, I, I go drive down in inner city Birmingham all the time. I'm not dumb enough to believe that that place doesn't need changed. But I am, I, I, call me dumb, I might be dumb enough to believe that we're supposed to have the answer to that. I believe the church is supposed to, the reason why, oh, help me, Jesus. The reason why we don't want to deal with that is we shut a blind eye to it is because we understand that that's not going to be fixed in one generation. And we've been taught we're going to get off the planet before then. So why even try to fix it? Because we're not supposed to, we're, we're not going to be here long enough to see it fixed. No, it is our mandate to see it fixed. Racial reconciliation is a mandate in the body. We're not supposed to be an all-white church. 
We're not supposed to be an all-black church. We're not supposed to be. We shouldn't have a Hispanic church. We should have a church. And we should all be together. But instead, what we do is we look at that and say, well, if they didn't act like that, they wouldn't be. No, that's not the answer to it. The answer to it is let's get in the secret place, sit there until we get strategies to leave the secret place and see the kingdom of God advanced in the earth. Instead of us looking at it and calling darkness dark and just, that's all the church does is trumpet darkness anyway. We just yell at what's dark instead of saying, what can we do to change it? It's the whole thing I talked about a couple Sundays ago. All they taught us to do was don't have sex. They didn't tell us how not to do it. Just don't do it. You know how you don't do it? You sit with Him. It's not because you're so consecrated and dedicated and and disciplined. It's because you sit with Him. And then all of a sudden you grab his heart and you understand to do anything contrary to his heart. you got to disconnect from him to go do it. And then you love him enough that you don't disconnect from him to do it. Wasn't taught that growing up. I just did it and then repented. And did it and repented and did it and repented. And... Let's just be it. God bless you. You guys thought I just did everything right growing up? Timmy blew that out of proportion last week. <laughs> he talked about a good thing I like about our pastors. He gets up here and talks about how he struggles. You know, we love Timmy, but anyway. All right, let's read this. All right, 5811. The Lord will guide you continually. There you go, guide you. And satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Verse 12. Those, who, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. First message I ever heard from a Pentecostal preacher was the, pre- was the message from Rod Parsley, Repairs of the Breach. The only church I'd ever been to was Elvester Baptist Church, and that's when Mom got feeling bad about things. We just went to Elvester. I remember my brother's not here to make fun of him. I remember he was pitching a fit. And some little old lady in front of us just turned around and said, Here, here's some. M&Ms or something to try to get him to shut up. That's some of my fondest memories. I'm just kidding. It's some of my first memories of going to church, period. But it was because mom would feel bad and she would go to Elvester Baptist Church. And that's where we went. Didn't even realize Paul was probably there. We brought us in the choir. Kids choir. No, we didn't go enough to get in the choir. I was bald then. Shut up. But the first experience I ever had with a charismatic Pentecostal, I didn't call partially charismatic, he's just Pentecostal. Sweat pouring off that big, huge nose of his. Big nose. He's a tall dude, too. You don't realize how tall he is until so you get around him. Big, huge nose, sweat pouring off of it. He sticks his finger in that camera, and I'm a 15-year-old boy 
selling drugs. Just started. I didn't do a lot. Running, running around with some folks I shouldn't have been running around with. He stuck his finger in the camera and he said these words. He said, without the blood of Jesus, you're just as sure for hell if you were already there. That's enough. And to this day, that message and that message alone. And honestly, we didn't have we had rabbit ears. We didn't have cable. We couldn't afford cable. We had rabbit ears. And channel sixty was the is, was the channel at the time. I don't know what it is now, but it was sixty at the time. And I have no clue how that channel actually showed up on my TV because twenty one didn't show up on my TV. I have no idea where it's at. Don't watch TBN now, but literally, this antenna, and I find this channel, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, as a 15-year-old boy, starts talking to me. I'd love to say, because he has his camp meeting during, his camp meeting's going on right now. It's the week of the 4th of July, every year. I would love to say I fell on my face and repented and had this great encounter with the Lord, but I didn't. But from July to October, Holy Spirit just kept working, kept working, kept working until October 29th when I laid my head down on that altar and I gave my heart to Jesus. He preached that message right there. And you will be called a repairer of the breach. Can I tell you that there are no breaches in heaven? Can I tell you that there will be no breaches in the millennial reign that some people try to make this scripture be pushed off to? This is a mandate for the body today that we have been given the responsibility to see the breaches be repaired and old paths or old streets be restored to dwell in. This scripture is not a picture of someone that is just trying to hold on and make it to heaven one day. This is a picture of what a believer that walks in the understanding that they, were, they have been created to look and act just like the Father. Let's do one more, Isaiah 61. And we will close with this scripture. Isaiah 61, 3 and 4. Actually, we won't. We'll, we'll close with one more scripture, but I'm going to read it. I'll read it in the Passion. Isaiah 61, 3 and 4. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Come on. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations.
He gives us supreme authority over all the earth to man. He gives it to man and then tells him to subdue the earth. The word subdue, this is what the word subdue means. It means literally to conquer or to make subservient. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to conquer the earth. Can I tell you that the first command to Adam was this. I want you to conquer the earth. And I want you to make the earth subservient to you. Ah. Oh, this is... Because I gave everything in the Old Testament, I want to read one scripture in the New Testament. Because some folks say the Old Testament's gone. No, it's not. I'm going to go to Acts chapter 3. And I'm going to read this in the Passion. Chapter 3, verse 19. And now you must repent and turn back to God so that your sins will be removed and so that the times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence. And he will send you Jesus the Messiah, the appointed one. For he must remain in heaven until the restoration of all things has taken place, fulfilling everything that God said long ago through his holy prophets. So Jesus must remain in heaven until the restoration of all things. The word restoration in this is the Greek word apokatastasis. Apokatastasis. It's one time, it's used one time in the New Testament. It's, one, it's used one time literally. When Luke wrote, the, Luke wrote Acts, and, and Luke was a physician, so he uses this word. It's actually a medical term that means this perfect health. See, I know these are things that we've not been taught. I get that. But I'm just laying Scripture out. That's what the Scripture says. He must remain there until we get our heads out of, our, out of the sand. <laughs> that was close. <laughs> we get our heads out of the sand we look at the earth and we ask God, how do we change this? Because no matter what we've been taught, the kingdom is in us. And the kingdom is coming. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not in its totality. Like, I mean, we, we, we got people that are out there teaching that the kingdom's here in its totality. That's not true. It's coming. The thing is this. Jesus is coming. That's my, that's my eschatological viewpoint is he's coming. We all argue over when. But the idea is the scriptures say that we have to be making transactions on the Father's behalf until that day takes place. And I don't have the right to dictate when that is. I just have the, I have the mandate from heaven to make sure that the earth looks like heaven because he's returning here. Amen?
So heaven's reality is this. You're a son and a daughter, and you were created in the image and the likeness of God so that you could subdue the earth and make it look like heaven. Amen? Amen. Man, it got hot in here. I think one of the reasons why the enemy hates the apostolic is because the apostolic is willing to tear up ground and to take territory. And I think we just have to be okay with understanding there's going to be a fight. We're just going to have to be okay with that. We just have to understand he's already won it. And we're going to fight from victory, not for it. And we're going to decree that the earth will look like heaven because the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters did cover the seas. This is what Habakkuk wrote. Right after he wrote and told them, write the vision. Make it plain. Make it plain so they that hear or read it can run with it. And then he says the knowledge, knowledge, knowledge not being a noun. If you look the word up in Hebrew, it's not a noun. It's a verb. The knowledge, the experiential knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. It's not so that everyone knows and so that everyone experiences. And that's old covenant. We're in a greater covenant. Amen. So, Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for what you've said. We thank you, Lord, for what you did in worship. That we moved to an 80s love song. I saw Ashley start. She was starting to move. Some of you like to do the twists, you know, I mean, hey, whatever it is. Like when the rodeo comes to town. I hadn't heard that song in a while. 